Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 to 15, and verses 18 to 22. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or families. This week, we're beginning a six-week series entitled Lessons from the Kings of Judah. During these lessons, we will glean biblical truths from the lives of Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, and Josiah. To do this, we will span about 270 years of Israelite history during the period known as the Divided Kingdom. I would like to begin with the big picture to help us understand Israel's history and the Divided Kingdom. After 430 years of slavery in Egypt, God delivered the Israelites from bondage through the leadership of Moses. Instead of going straight into the promised land, Moses led the Israelites through the desert for another 40 years. Moses died in the desert, leaving Joshua to be the one to lead Israel across the Jordan River to possess the land. When Joshua died, the Israelites entered a period known as the period of judges. During this season of Israelite history, God raised up 12 judges to rescue Israel from the hand of the Canaanites. Around 1025 BC, the people of Israel came to Samuel and asked for a king. God responded by giving Israel's first king, King Saul. David followed King Saul and became the most noteworthy king in Israel's history. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, God promised King David these words, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David's son Solomon followed David on the throne. While Solomon's reign was noted as a time of political stability and economic security, he didn't reign with the heart of his father David. Toward the end of his reign, Solomon had enacted heavy taxation and forced labor against the northern tribes of Israel. When Solomon's son Rehoboam inherited Israel's throne, he had a choice to discontinue this unfair treatment of the north. Unfortunately, against the counsel of the elders, Rehoboam responded by increasing the burden of the northern tribes rather than decreasing it. This action triggered the revolt of the northern tribes against the southern tribes. As a result, God's people split into two separate kingdoms. The 10 tribes in the north became known as Israel, while the two tribes in the south became known as Judah. The Davidic dynasty, the descendants of King David, reigned in Judah, the southern kingdom. The fourth king of Judah, that is, since the divided kingdom began, 
was a man named Jehoshaphat. He reigned in Judah for about 25 years, from around 873 to 848 BC. Most of Jehoshaphat's reign in the south coincided with the reign of the evil king Ahab of the northern kingdom. During Jehoshaphat's reign, the northern kingdom under Ahab was actually stronger than Judah, its southern neighbor. Jehoshaphat's name means God has judged. While Jehoshaphat's reign was far from perfect, he's remembered in the Old Testament as one of the good kings of Judah. Just after Ahab's death to the north, three eastern kingdoms joined together to attack Jehoshaphat and Judah in the south. When Jehoshaphat learned of it, the armies of the three united kingdoms were already at Engedi, only 25 miles from Jerusalem, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2. The situation was dire. Standing alone, Judah seemed doomed. This is where we'll pick up our story today from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 5 to 15, and then skipping down to verses 18 to 22. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in your distress, in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And then 
scooting down to verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some uh, Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out, at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The setting of Jehoshaphat's prayer is the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. This is the temple that Jehoshaphat's great-great-grandpa, King Solomon, had built. After King Solomon dedicated the temple and prayed, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, records God's reply to King Solomon. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now, 110 years later, King Jehoshaphat stood before the Lord in the very same temple and prayed to the God whose eyes and ears were watching and listening. From first to last, the king's words were a prayer. He addressed God formally as Lord, that is Yahweh, the God of our ancestors. His prayer moved from the present to the past and then finally to the future. He began with the present. Are you not the God who is in heaven? Verse six, a rhetorical question with the obvious answer of, yes, you are the God who's in heaven. Israel's neighbors all had national deities they believed were looking out for and defending them. Jehoshaphat knew that all power and might belong only to God. From the present, Jehoshaphat moved to the past. He, In his prayer in verse 7, he asked, Did you not in the past drive out the inhabitants of this land? Again, this rhetorical question is answered with a sound, yes. Jehoshaphat based his urgent petition for God's saving arm to come to Israel in this crisis on what, had, what God had already done. God had miraculously brought Israel into the land God had promised Abraham. You see, faith is believing and acting on what God has demonstrated consistently over time. Looking back over God's faithfulness in the past helps us to trust him in our present circumstances. If you're going through a tough time today, I would encourage you to remember all the times God has been faithful to you in the past. Your heart will be encouraged 
and you will have faith for the present. Right before Jehoshaphat moves to the question regarding the future, he mentions the problem at hand. A vast army, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2, had come against Israel. This vast army included a coalition of three kingdoms mentioned in verse 10. All three of these nations had close family ties to Israel. When Israel approached Canaan under Moses years earlier, God had strictly forbidden Israel to act with hostility against any of these three kingdoms. The three kingdoms were Ammon, Moab, and Edom, or Mount Seir. Let's quickly reveal, uh, re review the family ties to Israel. According to Genesis chapter 19, verses 36 to 38, Abraham's nephew Lot had two sons. These two sons became the nations of Ammon and, and Moab. Israel considered these nations as cousins since Lot's father, Haran, was Abraham's brother. Ammon may have been named first because the Ammonite capital, Rabbah, was the nearest of the attacker's cities to Jerusalem. Today, Ammon, Jordan, covers much of the territory of ancient Ammon. The outskirts of Ammon today are scarcely 30 miles from Jerusalem. Moab lay east of the Dead Sea and south of Ammon. Still further south of Moab was the nation of Edom, the farthest to the south. You might remember that Abraham's son of the promise, that is Isaac, had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. It was through Jacob that the Israelites came. Genesis, however, consistently considers Esau as the ancestor of Edom, making Edom even more closely related to Israel than either Moab or Ammon. So God had commanded Israel not to disturb these three relational nations when they came to Canaan. But now these three nations were together invading Judah. Josephat is not slow in reminding God of, of this history in his prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In verse 11, Jehoshaphat prays, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? This leads us to the question King Jehoshaphat asked about the future. In verse 12, he asked, will you not judge them? At this moment, the nation of Judah stood alone. Jehoshaphat commanded a small army, a vast army, much more superior to Judah, was coming against them. Jehoshaphat knew that he could not match the numbers and the strength of this coalition coming up from Engedi. Jehoshaphat clearly did not know what he should do. With great humility, he stood before God and all Judah at the temple and admitted this very fact. Remember, Jehoshaphat's prayer was in front of the entire nation. When the nation learned of the imminent attack, many people would have fled to Jerusalem as the largest and best fortified city of the kingdom. 
verse 13, reveals that all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Verse 12 ends with King Jehoshaphat's words to God, we do not know what we, what we should do, but our eyes are on you. Notice what Jehoshaphat did not do. He did not act like he knew what to do. Remember, he was the king. Daily, servants and officials stood before him, their eyes on Jehoshaphat, waiting for his direction, for his decision on their petitions. In this situation, King Jehoshaphat was at a loss, but he didn't fake it. Second, he did not try to count the troops or to make a military plan. Action was not his chosen path. His plan was to bring his need to God and to wait for God's reply. Jehoshaphat was a leader committed to prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 17, verses three and four recalled him as one who did not consult the Baals, but rather he sought the Lord. I have a simple question for all of us today. Are we willing to slow down our decision-making in a crisis and to seek God? Jehoshaphat simply stopped and he sought direction from the Lord. Scripture time and again makes clear that when God's people acknowledge their dependence on God's faithfulness, God acts powerfully on their behalf. As they waited, God spoke through, the, through a man named Jehaziel. Jehaziel does not appear to be a prophet by calling. He was, however, spirit anointed to deliver this timely prophetic word to King Jehoshaphat and to Israel. His pedigree is given to the fourth generation in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 14. He was a Levite, a prominent man from a prominent family. We can only imagine that Jehaziel's words came as both a heart-strengthening hope, but also as a scarcely believable wonder. His message was simple. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours, but God's, verse 15. Jehaziel called Israel to know that God was going to fight this battle for them. They could not win. God could not lose. The word order of the original text makes this even clearer. It says this, if we translate it directly, for not to you is the battle, but to Elohim, which is translated as God. Elohim is the name for God emphasizing might, power, and majesty, exactly appropriate for this occasion. As the story unfolds, Jehaziel told King Jehoshaphat where to deploy his, his men as though preparing to fight, but then to stand and watch God defeat the invaders with no help from Judah, verses 16 and 17. The three verbs in verses 18 and 19 signify total submission. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat bowed down. All the people fell down in worship. Some Levites stood up and praised the Lord with a very loud voice. 
Have you noticed that the people of Israel followed their leader, the king? When the king didn't know what to do and only looked to God, so did the people. When the king bowed down and worshiped to the Lord, so did the people. You and I are influencing people around us all the time for the good or for the bad. In discipleship circles, we say we are always making disciples. The question is, what kind of disciples are we making? Consider carefully your actions in this life, my friends. People are watching and following your lead. Jehoshaphat knew that prayer and praise were the most important activity he could do when his circumstances were overwhelming. On this momentous occasion, he and all the people held nothing back, but praised the Lord with all they had. Early the next morning, according to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, the people left for the desert of Tekoa. Tekoa is about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Israelis today call this area the Judean wilderness. As they set out, Jehoshaphat's instructions show him fully committed to the prophetic word he had received. Jehoshaphat's words were simple, have faith in the Lord your God. The battle order was the most telling of their faith, contrary to military common sense, but in keeping with Jehaziel's word, the battle is not yours, but God's. Jehoshaphat sent out his choir first for battle, followed by his soldiers. The choir sang and praised the Lord for the splendor of his holiness, giving thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Verse 21. The Israelites in this moment believed that God was more awe-inspiring and powerful than any earthly military power. There's a key word that is very important to the story of Jehoshaphat. The word is with. The people are encouraged to not be afraid because the Lord is with them. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament came to understand the same thing as he wrote to the church in Rome. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8 verse 31. The battle happened just as Jehaziel had promised. Verse 22 revealed that the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. We learn in verse 23 that the way God defeated them was through animosity among themselves. The Ammonites and Moabites turned on the Edomites. Having destroyed them, they turned on each other. The people of Judah didn't have to raise their swords. God won the battle. Sometimes the battle in our lives feels overwhelming and victory seems impossible. No matter how insurmountable our problems may seem, turning to God in prayer is a mark of faithfulness and wise leadership. We are never alone in our difficult situations. We can always pray to the one who is faithful in love, who will never leave us or forsake us, and who fights our battles for us. 
Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.